But our scripture reading this morning is going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 18. Let's all stand together and we'll read verses 1 through 17. The 18th chapter of the book of Acts. I'll go ahead and read these verses for us if you just follow along. Acts 18, verses 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, uh, the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many uh, in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would uh, add your blessing to the reading of your word to us this morning. I pray that you would help each one of us to grow in our understanding of you. Uh, help us to be encouraged uh, by this text this morning in the ways that you uh, saw to it that your servant Paul was strengthened during this time in his life. I pray that each one of us would uh, be reminded of the comfort, the encouragement, the fact that you are with us as we seek to do your work in the world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, please be seated. This morning we're going to be following the Apostle Paul uh, as he enters the city of Corinth for the first time. Uh, if you've been with us, we've been studying through the book of Acts. We're in the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he started off going north into the area of uh, Cilicia, and then God called him to go to Greece, uh, modern-day Greece, what was then called Macedonia. And so he's been uh, going from city to city, church to church, well, city to city, uh, establishing churches in each one of these places as he goes, uh, bringing the gospel of Jesus. And today he's in the city of Corinth. Uh, this is a city you've likely heard of if you've been a Christian for any length of time. You've heard of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, those are Paul's letters that he, he writes later in his life uh, to the Christians here in this city. This is a very prominent <clears throat> church established here. But today we'll see the very first time that Paul enters this pagan city. 
Uh, He was in Athens in the previous chapter. We saw that last week. He preached to the Areopagus, the leaders of the city, and he was mostly scorned as a result. And so he heads off to the next city. Verse 1 of chapter 18 begins, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Uh, Here's Corinth on the map. You can see it's not very far from Athens. It's uh, just kind of the next city over. The city of Corinth was a big one. Nearly a million people uh, lived here at this time. Uh, It was a commercial center. Trade routes basically from every direction passed right through the city of Corinth. As you look on the map, you can see that Corinth is located on a very small stretch of land about three miles across uh, that connects one sea to the other. Uh, Today, there is a canal that was dug through Corinth so that ships could pass right through there. Uh, But at this point in time, there was a slipway where cargo and even small ships uh, would basically be rolled across the land so that they wouldn't have to uh, travel the 200 miles around the peninsula, which was a very dangerous trip. And so Corinth was a a major city, a lot of travel, a lot of commerce, uh, trade routes going through the city of Corinth. Corinth was known for its immorality. It was the sin city of the ancient world. It was a huge temple in the middle of the city built to Aphrodite, the goddess of lust and pleasure. At this temple, a thousand prostitutes were employed to serve as priests. Immorality was rampant in the city of Corinth, so much so uh, that as an insult, people would call someone a Corinthian or say they were Corinthianizing. Uh, That was tantamount to calling someone a harlot. As the Apostle Paul enters the city of Corinth, he is very discouraged. This is a low point in Paul's life. He's been beaten and imprisoned. Uh, He has people from Thessalonica following him around to the places he's going, trying to kill him. He hasn't seen great success in the last few places that he's gone. Opposition, persecution in every place, but not much in terms of results. He's afraid, he's discouraged, and he's alone. Uh, Timothy and and Luke and Silas, they've all been separated from Paul at this point. And so Paul enters the city of Corinth. Uh, Reflecting on his time there, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and much trembling. Paul had been imprisoned. He'd been beaten back in Philippi. He'd been run out of town in Thessalonica, and then those who were seeking his life there followed him to Berea and tried to get him killed there too, and he barely escaped. Then he goes to the city of Athens, where he's mostly laughed at. He's scorned after he presents his message of Christ to the philosophers of the Areopagus. And now as he enters the sin-filled city of Corinth, uh, Paul is very discouraged. He's discouraged because of the seeming failure of the mission in Greece so far. Discouraged because he's alone. Luke, Timothy, Silas, they all had stayed behind as he had to quickly get out of Berea and flee for his life. He's fearful of the constant threats on his life everywhere that he goes. Excuse me. And add to all of this, Paul runs out of finances at this point, and he has to pick up a job, which means he's not able to really dedicate all of his time to the ministry like he would like. He's alone, he's afraid, and he's discouraged. And so our text this morning is really all about how God encouraged Paul. 
At this low point in Paul's life, God provided five encouragements to the Apostle Paul to keep him going in the ministry to which he had been called. And I believe that as we're faithful to do the work of God that he's called us to do, God will provide these encouragements for us as well. God cares about his servants, those who are doing his work, uh, those who are facing difficult circumstances, they are seen by God. And so today, we'll see these five ways that God encouraged his servant Paul here in the city of Corinth. Number one, God encouraged Paul by giving him friends. Uh, We see this beginning in verse 2. As Paul arrives at the city of Corinth, it says he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Priscilla and Aquila probably were Christians already at this point. I can't prove that. Uh, but it seems like they were not led to Christ by Paul here, but they were already saved. The gospel had reached Rome before Paul Paul ever got there toward the end of his life. He uh, sent a letter to the Romans, in fact, while he was here in Corinth. And so there, the gospel was there. There was churches in, in Rome already. It, it would be odd of Luke <clears throat> also not to mention the conversion of Aquila and Priscilla if they were, in fact, saved here uh, under Paul's ministry. And then also later... When Paul writes to the Corinthians about some tribalism that was going on in the church there, he says to them, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So there he mentions the people that he baptized, at least those that he could remember, uh, but no mention of Priscilla or Aquila being baptized. So putting all the pieces together, it seems likely... Uh, that these folks were already Christians. Uh, They had been forced to leave Rome because of the decree of Claudius, the emperor. And so they headed to Corinth. At the same time, Paul enters the city. He's looking for work, and he ends up meeting with these two who were of the same trade as he. Verse 3 says, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers. Uh, So God worked all of this out so that Paul uh, would enter the city of Corinth at the same time as Priscilla and Aquila were fleeing Rome, and they met right here in this city, and they end up being lifelong friends of the Apostle Paul. He writes of them often throughout his letters, referring to them as his co-laborers in the work of ministry. Here we also learn Paul's trade. As it says there, he was a tent maker. Uh, maybe a leather worker would be a more accurate term, because he probably made more than uh, just tents. But at this point in Paul's life, he's having to be bivocational. Uh, It seems that the church in Antioch probably sent Paul and Silas and Timothy, probably sent them out uh, with some financial support uh, at the beginning of these missionary trips. Uh, But at this point, those funds had run out. So Paul goes to work. Verse 4 says that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So you notice that it doesn't say he did this every day. He did this every Sabbath because he's working uh, throughout the week every day. And then on the Sabbath, he's doing the work of ministry, uh, trying to persuade people that Jesus is Lord, that they must repent and follow him. Uh, Some have been puzzled by this, the fact that Paul was uh, bivocational like this because of things that he said in his letters. For example, in Galatians 6, Paul writes, let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches, meaning let those in the church who are being taught by their pastors and leaders provide finances for the teachers to live on. 
Uh, similarly, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says in the same way, the Lord that uh, commanded that those who proclaim or preach the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul makes clear that those that God has called to be uh, preachers and teachers of the church should be supported uh, by the church and make their living that way. But uh, Paul didn't always follow his own teaching on this. Uh, there were times when he chose to work a job in addition to his uh, ministry to provide his own living. And he did this for two reasons, as far as I can tell. Uh, first, because the church that he was at didn't have the finances to pay him. Uh, he says this in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. So he says, well, we were with you. Uh, we were working a job providing our own living so that we wouldn't be a burden to the church. And so Paul and his companions, they worked normal nine to five or whatever the normal jobs were back then. Uh, and then they ministered on the Sabbaths and whenever they had free time. Uh, they did this in order to not be a burden on the church. And of course, in this case, these are very small churches, new churches, not really established yet. And so they had to be bivocational for this time. Another reason that Paul gives is stated in 2 Thessalonians 3, where he says, For you yourselves know uh, how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. We weren't lazy, is basically what he's saying. We weren't just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. No, verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, saying we, we could have uh, made our living off of the church. That's perfectly fine for us to do. But we did this to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So Paul says here that they worked, they supplied their own living, and they helped to support the work of the church in order to set an example for others to follow. And so Paul can say to them, imitate my example on this. Uh, get a job, earn your own living. Now don't be idle, don't be lazy. And I think this is very important in our society as Americans, where many people in our society uh, want others, and in particular the government, to supply all of our needs. Americans generally want to work as little as possible. We want to retire as early as possible and then sit idly for years while others pay for our expenses. That's simply not biblical. Of course, there is uh, instances where people become physically weak as they age, they're not able to work, that's understandable. But uh, according to scripture, if you're able-bodied, you're able to work, you ought to be working. That's Paul's command here. Don't be idle, uh, work, earn money, provide your own living. And then as Paul goes on to say in many places, give generously of your income. Uh, but you have to have income in order to give and to help support the work of the church. And so Paul was bivocational throughout this time, setting that example himself, even as the leader of these churches, the pastor of these churches for periods of time, uh, he was working and providing an example for others uh, that they should work and give. So yes, it's good if a church can afford to pay a pastor or even multiple pastors. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. It's very biblical. It frees them up to do the work of ministry and not have to work a secular job uh, in addition to that. But in the case like here in Corinth, where there was no church yet, uh, or in the case like in Thessalonica, uh, or frankly, our church here, where the church simply can't afford 
uh, to hire a full-time pastor. I work a normal eight-to-five job throughout the week, and Paul did something very similar here. In verse 5, we discover further that God not only encouraged Paul with new friends, Aquila and Priscilla, whom he now worked with, but God also brought old friends uh, back to Paul. Verse 5 says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So God used friends to encourage his servant Paul during this low point in his life. Aquila and Priscilla, these new friends that he met, and then Silas and Timothy, his old companions that have been reunited here in Corinth. So Paul is no longer working alone. Secondly, God encouraged Paul by giving him a good report about churches that he had founded in the past. Uh, Now for this and the next point, you'll see it's not actually stated there in Acts 18. I'm relying on other passages of scripture about this period of time. But when Silas and Timothy arrived here in Corinth, they brought good news about the churches in Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, Here's Paul's words reflecting on this. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? So Timothy arrives with this good report about the churches that Paul had established in Thessalonica. They were growing spiritually, and Paul is just overflowing with joy as he hears this news. And so he sits down and he writes this letter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, The Apostle John writes in 3 John, uh, verses 3 and 4, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. It's it's wonderfully encouraging uh, when you hear that someone that you've taught and tried to help uh, grow in the Lord, that they're doing well spiritually, that they're growing, that they're thriving, uh, being faithful to God. And so God used this report to encourage Paul in his ministry, even through difficult seasons, Uh, the afflictions, the suffering that Paul faced in Thessalonica, God still used Paul during that time to establish this church. And now he hears that they're carrying on the work, they're spreading the good news of Jesus, and that the church is growing. Uh, Number three, God encouraged Paul by providing for him financial support from the church in Philippi. Again, I get this from other texts uh, about this period of time. When Timothy and Silas arrived, Uh, They brought with them not only the good report, but also some financial support. Uh, The church at Philippi had sent funds uh, to the Apostle Paul so that he wouldn't have to be bivocational. He could fully devote himself to starting this church in Corinth and sharing the gospel with the lost in the city. Uh, Philippians 4 says, this is Paul writing, Yet it was very kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, so this is when he went from Uh, The Macedonia would be uh, Philippi and and Berea and Thessalonica. That's all in the region of Macedonia. Uh, Where he's at now in Corinth and Athens, this is Achaia. So it's a different uh, district there. So he says, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he says, You Philippians are the only church uh, that gave financial support to my ministry as I went to these new places with the gospel. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, reflecting back on this time, he says, when I was with you in Corinth, 
and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, that would be uh, Silas and Timothy, supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. And so Paul enters the city of Corinth. He's discouraged, I assume probably in part uh, because of his lack of finances. You get the impression as you read Philippians that he was really struggling uh, during this time that he was uh, even struggling just to have enough money for his basic needs like food. Uh, So he gets a job, he works day and night, and then God sends this financial relief with Timothy and Silas from the church at Philippi. And this frees up Paul's time. He's no longer having to work his tent-making job throughout the week. Now he can focus uh, solely on preaching and ministering to the city of Corinth. As our text says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, meaning he was able to fully devote himself to that. That became his job. Uh, He was no longer split, having to uh, work his tent-making job on the side. So he's freed up now to minister in Corinth, And his ministry is initially uh, met with rejection from the Jews. This is very typical. Everywhere that Paul goes, pretty much the Jews uh, tend to reject his message. Verse 6 tells us that when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So the Jews here at the the synagogue in, uh, in Corinth refused to accept his message that Jesus was their Messiah. They oppose Paul. They contradict his message. And so Paul storms out of the synagogue uh, after declaring, your blood is on your own heads. I've given you the truth. You've rejected it. And so I'm done with you, Paul says. And then verse 7, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So he goes right next door and uh, begins to minister to others. This leads to the fourth way that God encouraged Paul. God encouraged him by giving him converts. Verse 8 says that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So one of the first converts here in Corinth is Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, It's kind of odd, but most of the Jews rejected his message. But the one convert that Paul was able to convince was their leader. So he was saved. He becomes a Christian. He's baptized. His whole household is saved. And then it says many of the Corinthians, this would be the Gentiles in Corinth, uh, heard and believed the gospel, and they were baptized as well. And so Paul was encouraged by those who were coming to faith in Christ here in the city of Corinth. And this is really what it was all about for Paul, people coming to the Lord, uh, having their lives transformed. This is why he did what he did. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. So he gives three uh, metaphors there of his work saying that I'm laboring for something. Uh, there's a goal that I'm headed towards in all of my work and ministry that I'm doing. Verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
Everything that Paul went through was worth it if people were being saved. And so Paul was encouraged by those who were coming to Christ. And then number five, God encouraged Paul by giving him protection and freedom to minister here. As Paul said in that verse we started in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, he came here in weakness and in fear, trembling. He was afraid of the persecution that he had been facing everywhere that he went. We sometimes think of Paul as immune to fear, uh, but he was human. Uh, he had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. He had even at one point been stoned and left for dead. And so Paul feared facing such treatment again. And God encouraged Paul by providing for him here in Corinth a time of protection and freedom to minister without fear. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. A year and a half of fruitful ministry, uh, people coming to the Lord, uh, committing their lives to follow Christ. Paul is able to teach and lead the church for 18 months, uh, really establishing this church before leaving. He also writes a few of his epistles uh, that we have in the New Testament from Corinth during this time. First Thessalonians is one of those uh, that's written while he's here in Corinth. Now, there were some who tried to get Paul in trouble, uh, but God kept his promise to protect Paul from those attacks. Verse 12 tells us, But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Okay, so as I said, Achaia is the region in which Corinth was located. And just as a side note, let me mention, uh, there's been discovered a directive from uh, Emperor Claudius to Gallio which confirms that he was the proconsul of Achaia in the summer of A.D. 51. That's when this is dated. Uh, basically, a letter written from the emperor to uh, Gallio, the proconsul here, giving him some instructions. Uh, Gallio then ended up leaving shortly after uh, due to a fever. So we can date this whole period uh, that Paul was here in Corinth from A.D. 50, the fall, to the spring of A.D. 52. Uh, here's a piece of this uh, artifact that was discovered. It's actually in nine pieces. The message kind of got broken up. Uh, but this was discovered in the 1900s in Greece. And as I told you in the past, Greece, uh, Greek, the Greek language during this time period, uh, as you can see, kind of difficult to read. There's no spaces between words. Uh, there's no punctuation. It's all capital letters. And that's the way that the Greek language was. And so this is one of uh, nine pieces that have been discovered. The original message broke apart at some point, but you can fit the pieces together and uh, read it pretty easily. If you look at the very top line of the text, right in the middle there is the name uh, Gallio. I know some of you are probably looking at it. It doesn't look like Gallio, uh, but that's, that's a gamma, alpha, lambda, lambda, iota, omega. So Gallio, that's his name right there on that artifact. And this basically is the emperor giving instructions to Gallio about an issue that they were having in Corinth at the time. But this little detail uh, that Luke tells us about Gallio being in power here helps us uh, to kind of track the timeline of the book of Acts. We can say with uh, pretty much complete certainty that this was A.D. 51 uh, when this took place. So if you ever wonder, how are biblical scholars able to uh, say with such certainty the timing of events and when books were written, uh, things like this kind of help out. Uh, you get little details like this throughout the book. Now, this particular trial was of major consequence for Paul and really for the whole Christian movement at the time. 
Uh, Gallio was a Roman proconsul over a province, so he had more authority than uh, simply a regional sort of a, a leader of a city. Uh, he was a little bit of a higher power. And so if uh, Gallio had ruled against Paul, uh, he could have established legal precedent throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, this is sort of like when you take a, a case to the Supreme Court of the United States, whatever's decided there has an impact on the whole country uh, because of legal precedent. Uh, and so the, the progress of Paul and the progress really of all of Christianity for years could have been made very difficult if this Roman official had ruled against Paul here in Acts 18. This is a very significant uh, trial. Uh, here's a picture of the ruins in Corinth. This is the Bema seat where Gallio sat and gave his judgment. Uh, this is where the tribunal was, so this would be the exact spot that Paul uh, stood trial here in Acts 18. Verse 14, they, they, they bring this attack against Paul, saying that he's teaching things contrary to the law. And it says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, so Paul is about to give his defense as he's on trial, uh, Gallio interrupts him and says to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. So Gallio wants nothing to do with this dispute. Uh, he recognizes Paul has not committed any crimes. He's not hurting anyone. He's just teaching something that the Jews don't like. And so he says, that's ridiculous. I'll have no part of this. And he tells them to leave. And then verse 17 adds this little note. They all seized uh, Sosthenes the ruler of the synagogue, so this is the guy who took the place of Crispus, the guy who had gotten saved, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. And just as a side note, let me show you uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where the letter begins, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Uh, so it turns out that this guy ends up being saved as well. Throughout these five means, God provides encouragement for his servant Paul. Uh, for a year and a half, Paul is able to minister freely here in Corinth, teaching, discipling converts, and establishing this church. And God did a great work in the city. People who, are, who had been enslaved to sin, living flagrant, immoral lives, they were saved and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder if it surprised Paul what God said in that vision that, that the Lord spoke to him that night. Uh, Paul had entered this wicked place. He had tried to speak to the religious Jews, certainly a minority of the city, and they had rejected his message. And I wonder if Paul, at that point, thought that Corinth was a lost cause. These people are involved in so much uh, gross sin and perversion. And yet God says to Paul, I have many people in this city. You just keep preaching, and I'm going to draw people to myself. Paul later writes to this church in Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. These members of the church here in the city of Corinth had been involved in all manner of sin, 
yet God saved them. The city of Corinth shines throughout the history of the church as one of the greatest examples of God's amazing grace to sinners. Even in this place where sin was so rampant, God had many people. He had chosen to draw some of these people enslaved in sin to Christ, and he transformed their lives. And so looking at the example of Corinth, we praise the Lord for his grace to each one of us.